Good evening, Crypt Keepers. It's time for a special announcement. You all know about the infamous Zombie Road from our podcast, a real-life dark forest just west of St. Louis. Well, we're planning a free Zombie Road tour on Saturday, October 28th at noon. All are welcome, but the tour will include descriptions of violence, death, and hauntings. Zombie Road boasts an array of hauntings, including shadow people, a railroad worker's spirit, a lady in white, old blue, the mummy, a monkey man, flannel man, black-eyed kids, and so much more. Deaths were commonplace in the area, beginning with Native American battlegrounds, suicides, accidental deaths, and murders. The tour will be 100% free, and we will have some merch for sale, so bring some cash. Join us for a Halloween party like no other on the infamous Zombie Road. Feel free to come dressed up in your scariest costume. We'll see you there Saturday, October 28th at 12 p.m. Central Time. Sherman Beach Park, 1582 St. Paul Road, Baldwin, Missouri, 63021. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to a very special episode of Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by a man who always tests positive. Brian, what's up? I mean, I took it seriously when they said you have to stay positive. That's right. Always be positive. <laughs> yes. But I'm, I'm positive that I'm finally ready to talk about the vertical plane, man. Awesome. Well, I let, to get it out. Well, let me just tell him real quick. Let us know what you think at crypticpodcast at gmail.com please like subscribe share all that good stuff you can find us well you know where you can find us you can find us on tiktok at cryptique underscore podcast youtube is at cryptique podcast x is pod at podcast evil you can find us on facebook truth social gab instagram and we're, we might be on other places I don't even know about, Brian. We could be. You just never know. Yeah. But, know. yeah, you can check out our merchandise at crypticpodcaststore.com. We are planning a zombie road tour for October 28th, which you heard at the beginning. And now we are ready to move on and talk about Donaldson. Yes. Tell us about Donaldson, Brian. And I'll shut up. All right. So, <laughs> this book is The Vertical Plane by Ken Webster. And specifically, this is the second edition. Um, I had heard about this first on podcasts years ago, and there's been YouTube videos that I've seen about it as well, although I think most of them probably don't delve as deeply as they could into it. Uh, part of that is the book used to be really expensive. Mm-hmm. So, this version came out in 2021. And there's even a part of the uh, preface for it where he says, lastly, I'd like to say that this edition is here as a way of defeating the speculators and the inflationary price put on my book, mm-hmm. of which I have had no control. And he's not making any money off it either. They just, you know, take, right. take well, the book. And he, and... 
yeah, yeah. There, I mean, he got his like five bucks for it or whatever, but right. He yeah. wants to. He wants people to be able to read it. So I was finally able to get it at a you know reasonable price because to get mm-hmm. an old printing of this is is really expensive. But the uh, story starts off in Doddleston, England, in late 1984. And the primary person is Ken Webster, who's the author, and then his girlfriend, Deb or Debbie. They use those names interchangeably throughout the book. And the book is written from a a few perspectives. It's mostly Ken, but it's got a lot of supplemental stuff from the other people who are involved. Mm -hmm. And it starts with him having recently renovated his cottage. He bought this old cottage that they refer to as Meadow Cottage, but I'm probably not going to use that name. Mm -hmm. The top floor has a bedroom and a secondary bedroom that they use as a studio. And it's how they refer to it in the book. Okay. Downstairs, they have a living room and off of that is a kitchen. And off of that is a bathroom and then a door to go outside. Mm -hmm. So those are the important geographical points in this little tiny cottage. And they've invited since they're done, they've invited their friend Nicola to come stay with them. She has just returned from a trip to East Africa. There's a little bit of a description about how, horrific some of the hotels were and her just dealing with sort of a quarter life crisis because everybody involved in this is generally between like 19 and 30 ish mm-hmm. and her dream is to uh, start a cabaret group she wants to be a performer <laughs> so <Okay>. she uh, <laughs> she comes to stay with them and they you know a lot of the book just talks about their daily lives you know, they're kind of getting used to the cottage the way it is now, the renovations that have been done, and just kind of resting up from having done that. And they start to notice uh, what looks like footprints up one of the walls in the kitchen. Ew. And the girls take a look at it, and they say, oh, this just looks like dust from the ground, because it's still dusty from construction and cement and all that. But they think it looks like it has six toes Ooh. and about a size five foot. So they make some jokes about it. Uh, They say that they believe that those appeared around August or September of 1984, but they painted over them. Mm -hmm. But the next day they reappear again. It's dust from the floor. And they notice that whenever they paint over them, they reappear in a slightly different position. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're just showing through their, you know, a couple inches off to one side. Right. I guess the, the main incident, the most famous one, the moan you're most likely to have heard of is it starts in chapter two. I'm trying, I'm trying to not, you know, just blow the whole thing. Uh, so they're going through the normal life. They go out and go shopping. They bring back tins of cat food and boxes of things, packets of whatever, right. all sorts of stuff, coffee. And they kind of lay everything out. Yeah, and they lay everything out in the kitchen, and then they go and just they're doing their own thing because they're young and whatever. They just drop the stuff off. But when they come mm. back in, they find uh, the next morning in the kitchen that a lot of the cat food tins are arranged in a pyramid shape mm. right by this brick pillar that's in the kitchen. You know, it's an older part of the structure. Right. And there's a guy that they hang out with named John who's a guitarist, and they think it might be him. Because they have a few musician friends, like I said, they have a little studio room where they have a recorder, so they think that's eh, probably just him. Uh-huh. You know, he he can come and go. He uses a recorder. He probably just did this, but Ken doesn't really think so. The next morning, 
they find it again. They find lemonade bottles, cat food, coffee tins, all sorts of stuff arranged into another pyramid. But they're saying that this time it's so perfect and like precarious. They don't think that this goofball John could have done it. <laughs> you can't even stack lemonade. They're like, Stuck this is up. too good. <laughs> so other odd things start to happen. Okay. Uh, they talk about seeing figures outside their windows, uh, waking up in the middle of the night and thinking that there's somebody in the room with them, or maybe somebody somewhere else in the house. It's awful. And on an uh, and on an evening in December, they talk about a cold burst of air coming under the kitchen door and blowing hard enough to take a newspaper off the floor and lift it to about the height of the arm of an armchair and blow wow. it across the room. And they check there are no windows open, no doors open, no skylights, nothing. Hmm. This is the real start of the craziness, because otherwise this would just be a haunted story, you know, haunted mm-hmm. house story. Right. Nicola is high energy, and basically Ken doesn't want to deal with her. <laughs> so, been there. He he knows that she's trying to start this cabaret thing. So what he does is he goes to his school. He's a teacher, and he borrows a BBC Model B computer. They have them where the teachers can just check them out. And they have a program built in on a chip called Edward, which is a word processing program. It's very clever. So he sets that up for for the time, right? But like today Mm. it would be, you know, outdated and pointless kind of, or still a good model. No, I mean, it's, it's super old school and very rudimentary, Mm. but it's, you know, he's saying this is a much better way to do things. You can write your sketches and edit them here. You can do a printout every time instead of having to rely on copies of copies. Gotcha. And then just the Edward name for the program is pretty cute. That's pretty true. <laughs> he's also hoping that she'll get interested in using this computer and kind of entertain herself a little bit, which she does. <laughs> so the three of them go out and they go and visit a friend and return later to find that the computer has accidentally been left on mm-hmm. and it's out of the Edward program. So he's like, ah, I kind of want to see what's going on. So he goes back into it and finds that there's a new file labeled KDN. And he thinks it's a little strange because he's seen that Nicola labels all of her files as like one single letter. It'll be like mm-hmm. B F O whatever. Mm-hmm. The letter, they open the file and it's really bizarre in terms of the formatting. I don't know. We might have to like post a scan of of how it's presented in the book. Mm -hmm. But it says Ken, Deb, Nick. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun. For you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. And it's super bizarre, and it's like random letters are capitalized. There are odd spaces put throughout it. And he says, I couldn't help it. The most disturbing and cliche-ridden feeling came over me. A shiver ran down my spine that threatened to shake my feet. I caught the first two lines and read and reread them. The rest I didn't see in those first seconds. It was obviously to us, it was appalling. 
So he's talking about just being horrified by it. Okay. So they kind of just go on to their normal life. He's talking about, you know, looking for a reason for this or a way to analyze it or trying to figure out what he should do. Okay. They have more incidents. There are pictures in the book of, you know, coffee tins that are piled up on top of the stove with like cups balanced on top. You know, this poltergeist activity still is happening, but they get a second letter. And this one is, they just happen to look at it and they notice that there's a file on there called REATE, R-E-A-T-E. Okay. And it's written in this old English, but they have translations essentially. So that's what I'll read whenever I read one of these. Okay. But it says, and this is the translated one because the other one. It's hard to follow. Just, yeah, it's super hard to follow. If you, if you have it in front of you and you can read it, you can probably make some sense of it. But to hear it would be kind of tough. I write on behalf of many. What strange words you speak. Although I must confess that I too have been badly educated. Sometimes it seems changes are somewhat obstructive. For many a time they disturb me sleeping in my bed. You are a worthy man who has a fanciful woman and you live in my house. I have no wish to alarm you, for it is only since the half-witted fool ripped apart my confines have I been tormented at night. I have seen many changes... Lastly, the schoolhouse in your home. It is a fitting place with lights which the devil makes, and costly things which only my friend Edmund Gray can afford, or the king himself. It was a great crime to have stolen my house. Signed, L.W. So even the the uh, interpretations are a little bit convoluted, so I can't imagine yeah. what the actual letter sounded like. Yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> it's pretty hard to follow. So they're looking at it and they realize that when you pull up the menu for Edward, it's create, view, revise, format, and index. And all you have to do is type the first letter of each word. So if somebody went in and typed the word create, it would have gone into the create thing and then re-eight would have been the file name. C Ah. would have opened it, re-eight would have been the file name. So that's just something that they realize and think is kind of, you know, odd. Yeah, it's smart. This... Yeah, this is maybe what happened, but we still don't know how. They bring the letter to a guy named Peter who works at the school, and he's kind of an expert in English, and he's real enthusiastic. (laughs) He found that some of the words were pretty interesting, use of terms like charge house and things like that, that they were just unlikely to be used if you were going to try to fake something like this. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, Ken and Deb are afraid that people are going to think that this is just a hoax, that they're in on it, that they're trying to get attention or whatever. I mean, sure. they're in England in the 80s. They're worried about ridicule. Right. So there are some words that he's finding in some of these letters that he wasn't really aware of. You know, he had to do research to find them. And he said, there's a quote where he says, if this is a hoax, then what a romp. Like, <laughs> you know, what what a, you know, how fun is this to like come up with this thing? Right. And he basically just asks if he can see any more messages that happen to come through. Okay. So in February of 85, they have a friend named John Cummins who comes to visit and talk about the letters and tries to help them logically work through it. This is not the same John that is the guitarist. He's kind of not much of a part of the rest of the story, but he's, he's just pacing around their living room and he's like, well, 
this looks like a letter. So what do you do with a letter? Mm -hmm. You reply to it. Yeah. So they write a reply and they ask, you know, what time period this person is living in based on their, well, they, they tell him, they try to communicate in a way that they think he'll understand. So they say what monarch they're under, uh, who, you know, who's in power, Mm-hmm. A couple other things about their daily lives, and they try to get this LW person to write back, and they have a bunch of questions. But the response that they got was wound up being lost. And this happens a couple times. Sometimes files disappear. Sometimes there's a problem where the power flickers and they lose it. It's frustrating. Yeah. So there are a few where it's partially from memory. So it, the response was on the screen. Debbie read it. <laughs> the computer set up in the kitchen, so she's yelling the message to Ken. He's reading the message over the phone to John, and John is taking notes on it. So what they recall is the response saying that the home was an honest farm of oak and stone. It was helpful that you should tell me about, about thy time. Thy. Because we got those ye olde English words. Yeah. Dost thou hath horse? He's asking a question. Saying mm-hmm. Edmund Gray, brother of John Gray, lives at Kinderton Hall. And there's a Kinderton Road in this town as well. Thy king, of course, is Henry VIII, who is six and forty. I know not of King James. Mine charge house is a place of lore, which I think might mean schooling. And he dates the letter 28th of March, anno 1521. Okay. So they notice that there are a couple problems with this. The, uh, the king... Henry VIII was not that age at that time. There, there are a couple other issues. They can find no historical references to Edmund Gray. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're suspecting more and more that this is some kind of hoax, but they don't really know how. Right. Like what, you know, what it could be. But they're still looking into it. So Peter is looking into the specific wording and he finds that some of the ways that they're referring to things and the words that they're using are particular to Bristol. So he asks them to find out if LW had possibly been from Bristol or had some ties to it. Mm-hmm. Messages are still exchanging. They're basically having conversations back and forth. And LW has started signing his letters as Lucas. Okay. He's given more responses, more things that they can research. One of these aspects is the language, which seems to be from Bristol. Uh, Peter found that the words that he was using were correct for the time and that, like I said, the references are regional to Bristol and the Chester area. So they asked him and he said that his family was from Bristol originally, although he's not living there at the moment. Shout out to Bristol. They ask him some questions. They try to ask him if he's ever used this particular bridge. Uh, in present day, it's a private bridge called Altford for the Westminster Estate, but they think it's possible that at some point it could have been used for crossings. Mm-hmm. And there was a market that Lucas mentioned in Nantwich, which is near the area, so they thought, you know, let's just see if he knows anything about this. Confirmed that he used it, uh, but Lucas Lucas sometimes expresses like irritation with some simple questions. Sure. They're also starting to notice from the poltergeist stuff that's still going on that most of the activity in the house is within like three or four feet of this brick pillar. Okay. Which is strange. They're not really sure, you know, why that would be, but they're learning that Lucas owns a small farm and his, 
you know, primary thing that he does is growing barley and making ale. He says that that's probably what he's best at. He has livestock, but ale is his jam. <laughs> right. He talks about, you know, parts of the farm being made of red brick. And Ken realizes that during these renovations, right before all this started happening, they dug up tons and tons of red sandstone bricks that are now stacked up in the yard by this tree. So possibly stone tape kind of thing, or, I mean, we always see activity, strange activity when you. Well, hold on. What do you mean stone tape? I haven't heard that. You haven't heard the stone tape theory? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. The idea is it's usually limestone, but the idea that stone can sort of record emotions. Oh, like the crystal in it? The crystal content? Kind of, yeah. That I mean, just that like limestone and things like that in particular. Like if you take limestone that was from an old prison or a fort or something like that, you're likely to get some kind of activity related to that. I hadn't heard it called that, so okay. So they think maybe the bricks are somehow related to that or they just disturb something, but odd mm-hmm. odd coincidence that they're saying, you know, it was made out of this and this is the material that they found there. Sure. So there are three responses in the fourth chapter and only two of them are accurately recorded. Ken also notes that when he's writing his notes, that Lucas is basically mirroring his style. So if he writes L-U-K-1, he gets a file back that says Ken 1. Okay. So just kind of an interesting thing. It's no long, It no longer seems to be like completely accidental mm-hmm. that he's creating these. I'm really resisting the urge to read more of these letters, but there's, there's so many in here. It'd be just forever to do it. So they are still dealing with, and I'm kind of going chapter by chapter with this. Sure. So it's chapter five is primarily discussions with John, Deb and Ken talking about, you know, just reasons that they might've gotten things wrong or that Lucas might've gotten things wrong, kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe he just made this simple mistake or misspelled something or, you know, because of the language difference. Well, and not everybody was college educated back then. So. Right, right, right. You can sound fancy, but that doesn't mean that you're, you know, a, a lord or a lady. Mm-hmm. And there, he's also comparing Liverpool and Chester when he's talking about these markets that he goes to and kind of his daily life and the things that he has to do, you know, taking livestock to certain places or where he goes to buy equipment, clothes or shoes. Uh And they're thinking like, this is strange. Why would they just throw in these comparisons that are kind of, you know, you might, you might wonder how Chester compares with another larger city Uh and he's just volunteering that, but it's, it's strange. Why would somebody from the 1500s think to do that? Yeah. And there are also some sayings in there that are fairly well known quotes that are well known in the modern age that just seem like something you might do if you're hoaxing, mm-hmm. you might want to throw something in from that time period and they're sure. kind of getting a little bit suspicious of it. But in researching some of the people that he's mentioned, they found that Somebody else had been there before. They go and they're talking to this librarian. They're looking for specific information about these areas at these times. And they are told that there was somebody else there looking for the same thing not all that long before. And that kind of, you know, crushes their spirits a little bit. They're thinking, okay, we're definitely being hoaxed. There are people here 
definitely trying to find this information and come up with this stuff. Mm -hmm. We need to point out too that at this time, which I'm sure you've already picked up on it, and I mean at the current time where this book is taking place, it's not Mm -hmm. like people were sending emails that were accidentally getting opened or you know, anything over the internet. So this had to be something inside the house that was interacting with this computer, right? Right. Yeah. And there's no internet. So it's not like somebody's Google. I mean, there's not internet in the way we know it today. Right. So there's, there's not somebody out there Googling this information. So finding that somebody else had been at the library is kind of a big deal. Sure. Another problem that they find Peter Trinder, I haven't used his last name, but the language expert is finding that, uh, Lucas talked about rotations. He was talking about his friend's farm being much bigger than his. Mm-hmm. And he said it's so big that this guy can have up to four rotations per season. Hmm. And we're talking crop rotations. Like you plant corn and then harvest that and then you plant beans and harvest that. And then, you you know, all in the same plot, right? I believe so. Yeah. And Peter points out that rotation being used in an agricultural context is not recorded for about another 220 years. So he's saying this is like totally the wrong word Mm -hmm. to be using at this point. They also talk about the fact that the way Lucas writes is kind of like the way you would talk on the phone. An example of it is where he's saying, uh, you know, it's, it's one of their standard letters where he's telling them, you know, I went here and I talked to this person and I know these people and your girlfriend's super hot because he kind of gets into Deb a little bit. <laughs> All right. And then he's saying, oh, I have to go. My hounds are, what does he say? My hounds are being troublesome to my fowl, something like that. <laughs> yeah. My lime hounds are free and are being troublesome to my fowl. What is uh, Debbie's last name? I don't, I don't think so. I was just going to look her up to see if she really is hot. Oh, there's pictures of her in here. She's, oh, she's, De- Debbie she's Harry. very 80s hot. <laughs> I don't know if it actually says her name in the book, like her full name. They also note that he has very modern use of punctuation. He's using commas, periods, question marks, brackets, and parentheses, mm-hmm. which are uncommon. I mean, the way that we use punctuation today is even different than the way we did 80 years ago. Where we would use, I believe, where we would use an exclamation point now to be emphatic Mm -hmm. or even like I'm yelling this to you. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, it used to be just called a bang, Mm -hmm. not an exclamation point necessarily. And it was used to kind of convey sincerity is Mm -hmm. what I have come to understand. So weird that he's using punctuation in a modern way 430 years before this. They still, you know, Ken is is starting to think that maybe John, the guitarist, is is somehow doing this. Mm -hmm. Right. Nick suggested it first. And now he's thinking he says maybe John is trying to get me unnerved and, you know, kind of upset. And then Mm -hmm. he's going to swoop in and look all cool and collected and steal Deb away. So Ken's definitely got some insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that pops up every once in a while, but not, not a whole lot, but yeah, more poltergeist activity. They start reading books about it. And we have more of that old school English thing of not wanting to be, I guess, ostracized or talked about, or, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of 
on the outside of the social group. So he right. goes to Leicester Square, goes to a bookshop that focuses on occult and paranormal stuff, and he's talking about feeling awkward in there. You know, it's the kind of place you and I would probably love to go. Yeah. And he, and he finds the books that he's looking for, and he chickens out and leaves and goes to, like, a coffee shop. And he's like, oh, I can't I can't be seen to kind of do this sort of stuff. Wow. Yeah. Now they're back at the cottage. He's returned from his trip. Deb has moved out, which I thought was going to be a bigger deal, but she just started renting her own place. Apparently she was kind of running her own little business at the time. So now they're, they're sort of splitting time between her place and his. Mm -hmm. And at a point where he's away, uh, they come or he comes home, I guess by himself. And he finds that a lot of things have been thrown around the room. A pan has come off of a hook that it was on. Files and papers have been thrown. And the sleeve for the floppy disk that they're using, because they're borrowing the computers from the school, so they're checking them out periodically. And okay. he's borrowing are, disks. Are these different disks. computers that this is happening on? It's di Yes, different okay. computers. He's taking you know, a BBC Micro B, or what is it, BBC Model B, mm -hmm. bringing it home bringing it back and then checking out a different one. He just gets whichever one's available. Gotcha. So yeah, that's a good point. It's not the same computer every time and it's not the same disc every time. Cause at first he's borrowing discs from the computer, from the computer lab. And mm -hmm. then eventually he starts buying his own, okay. but he notices in this pile of stuff, the paper sleeve for the floppy is there. I don't know mm -hmm. if you remember old floppies from back in the eighties, but they mm -hmm. were actually floppy and they had a paper cover paper yeah. covers on the ground. The floppy disk labeled Lucas W is laying on the kitchen table placed there, presumably to say like, Hey, I've got stuff to communicate with you. And he right. starts theorizing that the power of this entity is such that, you know, this thing was just trying to move the disk and it moved it about 18 feet from the mantle to the kitchen table. And it just dragged everything else with it by accident. Wow. So they bring a computer back in <laughs> and, and they start, yeah, they pretty quickly start getting messages. And they're, you know, he's he's explaining cars and things like that because Lucas is somehow, somehow seems able to kind of perceive some things. You know, Lucas says that he's seen a car but doesn't understand what it is. Ken takes a magazine clipping with a picture of a Jag on it and leaves it on the table thinking maybe he'll be able to see this somehow. And... What's really strange is, you know, they leave this stuff, they come back, there's a new message. He's saying, this is a strange, crude carriage that will not go far without a horse. And he also is asking, like, what kind of strange wood is this, or this material? It feels almost like silk. And they realize that he's talking about the magazine page. And when they look at the little magazine clipping, they see that the edges are burned, and the rest of the picture looks like it's had extreme heat applied to it. There's, you know, bubbling and discoloration in it. Thinking this might be some kind of, you know, energy. I don't even know. Some kind of energy buildup from having been moved between their time and his. Which is a thing that happens throughout this. Whenever they try to give him some kind of picture, it's a, it comes back with signs of extreme heat. They start talking amongst themselves about more issues. Lucas says that he went to Jesus college at Oxford. Now again, no internet, no way to research this stuff, but they talk with Peter and Peter tells them that 
this is a problem because Jesus College wasn't built until 1571. It's real. It exists, but it wasn't built until 1571. So there's not really any way for him to have gone there or probably even have known about it. So again, they start thinking about hoaxes. They've also started receiving these messages. It's It almost seems like every time there's a, a more suspicion of a hoax, there's something that takes them away from that hoax thing. <laughs> because the messages start arriving. At first, they were arriving when they were out. They would turn on the computer. They'd write their notes. They would go out. They'd go to a pub. They'd go to a friend's house. They'd go for a drive. They're now starting to arrive while they're home, or at least specifically while Deb is home, while there are lights on and even while there's cars outside. So either somebody's really bold or there's something actually happening. So by chapter eight, Ken is thinking more and more that this is fake. Mm -hmm. They're still exchanging letters, but they're letting Lucas tell them things and they're not correcting anything that he says. Uh, Lucas is telling them more and more about his life. And he says that he is a servant who thinks that he's nuts Hmm. (laughs) because he can see the computer. And he describes that what he is seeing is a box of lights that at least initially was appearing in the brick of his fireplace, Mm -hmm. but they can't see it. He can also occasionally see Ken, Deb and their friends, but his, you know, he has a cook and apparently some other servant or worker that helps him. Mm -hmm. Neither of them are able to see it. And he's saying, you know, they think he's nuts, but he's telling them like, ah, you're just jealous because I've got buddies from the future. (laughs) And he's telling them like, don't tell anybody about this shit. We're going to write a book about it. So this is the first part where we hear about a book. Okay. You know, Lucas is talking about he's going to write a book and Ken's like, all right, that'd be great if we can find a book that was written by this guy, like mirroring the same experiences we're having. That'd be awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we still have uh, poltergeist activity. We are we hear that they are hearing footsteps on the roof. Mm. And there is a skylight, so Ken runs outside, looks up, nobody on the roof. No way anybody mm. could have gotten off of there. And it was so hard. He said the footfalls were so forceful and steady that he expected there to be cracked tiles on the roof. Mm. but they had to go on a trip the next morning before daylight. But when they got back to check it out, there was nothing, no damage, nothing like that. But they still are occasionally hearing footsteps. I mean, the same heavy rhythmic footsteps, but every time they go to check, there's nothing there. And it seems like eventually most of this poltergeist stuff just kind of gets swept under the rug. They're just, they don't care anymore. They're like, Oh yeah, that's just, those are the footsteps on the roof. It's been happening for a year, whatever. Mm. So here is where things start to get interesting again with Lucas. I told you about how there are discrepancies with what he's telling them, about the school that he went to, things like that. Lucas comes back and tells them, you know, you, you said that you were educated. You know, I think you're lying to me. You're not calling me out on these mistakes that I'm making. If you were really who you say you are, you would know that there was no Jesus college. You would not know what I was talking about. You would be calling me out on. Yeah. So Lucas in one of his letters is upset saying, I think you're lying to me. You say that you're real. You say that you're an educated person, but you're not calling me out. I'm purposely trying to mislead you. And you haven't noticed that there's no Oxford. There's no Jesus college at Oxford. Mm -hmm. You haven't noticed the spelling mistakes. You haven't noticed these errors that have been making on purpose to test you. 
Now you need to tell me what's going on because I don't trust you anymore. He's also, <laughs> this is where, this is where he starts kind of showing that he's got a little bit of thing of a thing for Deb. Okay. Cause he's saying that <laughs> his cook is jealous that there's a pretty girl in the house oh. talking about Debbie. He's mm-hmm. got, I mean, she can't see her, but the cook who's a young girl doesn't like the idea that there's another girl in the house. Sure. But uh, he's talking about, you know, that he has to cut off communication. Basically he's saying he doesn't want to, he likes talking to them. He, he's into Deb, but he's got to, because they're, they're being dishonest. Okay. So this was the first time that Ken really thinks like, okay, this might be real. And this guy is having the same experience we are. We are trying to figure out if he is real and he is trying to figure out if we are real. Like We're testing him by letting him, giving him enough rope to hang himself with all these mistakes. And he's purposely making mistakes to test us to see if we'll call him out, which is, it's a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of coverage on this that talked about the mistakes, but not necessarily that he comes back and says, like, what, why are you not? Why are you not calling me out on this? Like, you're full of shit. You don't know anything. So they let him know that they do understand the mistakes. And they apologize. And they, you know, whatever. They're able to smooth everything over. And he eventually tells them that he went to Bracenose College. That's how it's spelled, Bracenose. But I think it's Bracenose is how they want to pronounce it. I'll call it Bracenose. Okay. So the weird thing for me that they don't really address is the fact that if he's going to make up a name for a school. He made up one that would actually be built some decades later. Hmm. That seems possibly a little bit problematic. Yeah. There's also mention of Peter. Lucas is mentioning Peter and saying that he, you know, he, he starts liking to talk to Peter because Peter understands this language better. The old, you know, the old school English, middle English, I think they call it late middle English, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also making mention of you have notes about me in your red book and what materials this red book made out of. And they, they realize that he's talking about a red file folder mm-hmm. that they have, which does have a mixture of typed and handwritten notes. And Lucas is saying like, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to read this. The writing is so strange to me. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all these little these little things that are building into something bigger and bigger. I mean, by this point, we're about to chapter nine. We've had poltergeist activity after renovations. Mm-hmm. We've had mysterious letters that appear to be from the past. We've had verifiable information show up plus information that wasn't. But then we have the twist of, I was testing you, mm. which could be real or it could be a hoaxer. Mm-hmm. We have more poltergeist activity. We're starting to hear footsteps on the roof and things like that that lead them to think, okay, this is the hoaxer. Maybe he's going to drop down to the skylight. But nope, nobody there. And now we're getting hints that not only can he see and read materials in our world, Hmm. he can take them with him. He can see and read the things in the red folder that they have. And he can also take the picture of the Jag and look at it and be like, this is a weird carriage. I don't understand. Yeah. So progressing quite a bit. And we'll find out more after a quick break.
Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So here we get our first bit of misogyny. And one of the first parts of the book that made me laugh out loud. Great. Essentially, <laughs> Lucas starts writing letters directly to Deb. Mm-hmm. Telling her that she's beautiful, she's this fair maid and almost a perfect woman, and needs to serve his friend Ken well. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you have to serve my friend. Uh, he tells her that she's a little bit tomboyish, and that basically she should behave uh, in a little bit more of a domesticated way, uh. which I find pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> he also talks about uh, wanting to talk to Peter, and that Peter... You know, understands his language better, mm-hmm. that they have more trouble communicating, and he just essentially thinks that they'll be able to understand each other better. Right. He then turns his attention back towards Ken. So Lucas is always kind of riding between Ken, Deb, and Peter. These are mm-hmm. the main guys. I mean, the first note included Nick, but she only stayed with them for a little while, and then she went on. She went on and wound up performing in cabarets in London. So great for her. Get your yeah yeahs on. <laughs> so <laughs> Lucas is telling them stories about the 1500s mm-hmm. after he's talking about wanting to talk to Peter more he's telling them kind of random stories about having been arrested and tortured he's saying that uh, he tells them this, this strange story of having gone to Bristol to pick up books for a friend and that he was supposed to stay with this guy and rest, you know, after this journey. And he's doing so. He's resting. And then somebody pulls on his sleeve and takes him down into the cellar. And they tell him there's some official here looking for you. This official comes into the house and starts hassling this person's wife and assaulting his wife. I'm assuming that assaulting means sexually, that he's going to do something to her. Okay. So Lucas... You know, comes out, makes himself visible, says, I'm here, stop this, and winds up hitting this official. He says he hit him hard and he fell to the ground. Mm -hmm. He was then arrested, loaded onto a cart, put in a dungeon, tortured, although he doesn't explain how. Mm -hmm. And at his trial, (laughs) Lucas says that his brother shows up on horseback, throws down this fat chicken which I guess is some kind of payment or like bail yeah. money yeah. <laughs> grabs Lucas up and tears out. Of there. <laughs> it's wow. just such a strange story. Yeah. A strange, strange story. That's why I always keep fat chickens. I know. Yeah. I, I didn't know that I needed those, but uh, the next time I get pulled over <laughs> cops going to be like, do you know how fast you're going? And I'm just going to hand him this big old fat chicken. And he's going to be like, slow down. And then just walk back to his car. Right. So the, the letters are getting more personal. They're, they're talking about experiences. They're talking about their lives. And they're sort of becoming friends. Mm-hmm. They're, they're starting to let go more and more of this being a hoax. Mm-hmm. And they've even called in uh, SPR, the Society for Psychical Research. They did that in, I mean, in the first couple months of this happening, they wrote a letter requesting some help. But now they're kind of at a point where they've forgotten all that. Mm-hmm. The school is pretty well aware that this stuff is going on and people even just come to them and offer advice or they ask to see the letters, things like that. But they're still getting a lot of this physical stuff and they're starting to get tired of it. They're really upset, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Deb, because most of it seems to happen when she's around <laughs> and she's 
she tells about an incident where um, she goes into the kitchen to make some coffee, comes back into the living room, and feels something touching her hair, and then kind of doing these quick yanks on her hair, mm-hmm. and then putting pressure on her shoulder to the point where she like can't take it anymore. Like there's somebody here like squeezing me, and she turns around and there's nobody there. And this kind of thing keeps happening. And there's a lot in this book that's sort of filler, but it's about them just trying to live with this activity. Cause we sure. can forget reading it that, you know, we're focused on the messages, but they're living with all this other crap. Yeah. And it kind of makes them seem a little bit whiny sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I get it. it. It would be really difficult to deal with, I think for anybody. So, Yeah. So there's a new aspect to this, which is bothersome to Ken that I'll just touch on quickly. Lucas thinks Ken is an idiot, (laughs) which I really like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Peter initially encouraged him to just write in a plain, straightforward way. Don't try to mimic his language. Just, just write as, you know, explain it like I'm five. Right. That kind of writing. So Lucas thinks that he's dumb. (laughs) And And then, yeah, Ken is annoyed by that he's like man why'd you have to have me write this way (laughs) deb starts saying that she's seeing lucas physically like she she's having these sort of momentary sightings i guess almost like a time slip where she'll Mm -hmm. get up and for just a second she'll see somebody that she assumes is him you know old-timey kind of outfit things like that Mm -hmm. but maybe sees it out the corner of her eye you know, right, had that right. episode where yeah, you got to keep looking, looking at them in your peripheral vision. So right, like she'll turn towards the kitchen and like in the kitchen doorway, she sees this person. But when she gets all the way looking around, it's gone. Terrifying. They also find Lucas's name written in this stylized way, but written in chalk on that pillar because that pillar is still hmm. kind of the center of this activity. Yeah. So Lucas starts testing the group. He's asking the group, uh, what inscription is over the fireplace at Brace Nose? So this is still Lucas testing them because he thinks, I mean, being in 1500s England, he thinks they're demons or witches or something like that. So he wants to make sure they're real and on earth. They're just trying to make sure that he's not a hoaxer. So they actually and he can't do... tell anybody about it in his time because right. if he if he told them they'd be like, "Oh, you're a witch." Yep, yep. Fire exactly. up the Barbie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Around this time, Deb is starting to have dreams where she's there's one in particular, the first one where she walks out of what seems to be a big cracker barrel type fireplace, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden she's in this room and she sees who she thinks is Lucas. You know, she's saying like, "Oh, this is really strange." And he responds like, oh, yeah, it's definitely strange. And then he stands up and they kind of look at each other for a second. And she's trying to figure out what's going on. So she just tries to back into the fireplace. She says it goes real bright and then it goes dark and she wakes up. So strange dream, but it's followed by another letter from Lucas saying that it's essentially a poem about Mm -hmm. having been sitting in his home and seeing a beautiful maid appear and come out of his fireplace in a very similar way to what she described, you know, from her side. Yeah. That she came out, he put down these tools, responded to her. But after that was so taken aback by her beauty that he couldn't say anything. <laughs> so he's got to it on thick. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. This guy, 
coming this hard guy, after Debbie. I'm really I'm realizing from reading about Lucas what I was like in high school with some of the girls that I liked. It's like, oh man, was I coming on this hard? Was it this bad? Yeah. The next message that she received was, How you doing? <laughs> How art thou doing? <laughs> so <laughs> they uh they go to Brace Nose, or at least Peter goes to Brace Nose. And he investigates and they decide to just be honest. And they say that the inscription is not over the fireplace, but they don't tell him where it was. Mm -hmm. Lucas responds and he says, Oh, how embarrassing. I made a mistake. The inscription is actually over the stairs, which is true. And he also writes out what's on it in Latin because he reveals Mm -hmm. that he's, you know, studying Latin was something that he did in college. You know, more messages going back and forth, but they have power outages and things like that due to construction starting up again at the college. So there there are unfortunately some communications that they don't have a record of. Mm-hmm. But another development in, you know, this kind of bleeding effect, which is what it kind of seems to be to me. That's how I would characterize it, mm-hmm. comes during this construction. Debbie is inside the house while Ken and everybody else are outside doing things related to this renovation and she's reading a book about the history of Chester and they talk about pressing you know where mm-hmm. you would like we talked about in the witch trials right but Just pile stones up on people exactly the but they she says the old English name for it out loud which I'm not mm-hmm. going to try to pronounce <laughs> <laughs> but they say she's talking to Ken about it she's like oh look at this this is so horrific and she says it out loud and when they go back and check the computer there's a message from lucas asking if they're planning to turn him into the crown he says that he heard them talking about this punishment Uh so this is the first time they realize that not only can he sometimes get glimpses of them but he can influence their environment and even hear them so even the things that they say they happen to say a phrase that was this you know late middle english and he was able to hear it. And he's writing, you know, are you are you going to turn me in? Is yeah, this scared. what's going to happen to me? Yeah, he is scared. So Lucas ends up going to a place called Stapford to meet a friend. Because he, he finally, he's found somebody that he's going to talk to about it. Mm-hmm. But this friend has told him, dude, you're going to get put to death. Don't write to these people anymore. Don't tell anybody about this stuff. Let me yeah. come with you and we'll figure this out. So he writes, they're, they're exchanging letters. Lucas tells Ken and co this, and then he goes to meet the guy and then they come back. Okay. It looks like they receive some kind of test. It looks like the, the message that they have in the book kind of appears to be like what a kid might do if they were just kind of wailing on the keyboard, mm-hmm. but it includes the name John. So I think maybe this guy is trying to figure out how to use the computer from there because they still don't exactly know what it's like for them. Right. And then they start getting messages from this person just saying that he's an unnamed or a, a, yeah, a friend who's going to withhold his name. Don't blame him. Yeah. And he's saying that he, he writes a letter after this that's more sure. There's a lot fewer mistakes and, you know, kind of wailing on the keyboard sort of Shows arrangements. Yeah. And he's saying that he believes that Ken and his friends are from the future, but he's not going to give them his real name or Lucas's real name. 
because hmm. apparently Lucas has been a pseudonym and he's not going to give them their descriptions either. And they believe that this is probably a superstitious thing that if you have, if a demon has their name, it has some kind of power over them because they're still obviously their fears are very different. Sure. <laughs> In the modern day, they're worried about being ridiculed back then. They're worried about being burned as witches or, you know, crushed with stones, but he's right. asking them for specific political information. Who's going to come to power next? What, you know, wars are going to happen and things like that. Oh, and also cures to diseases. So they're, they're hesitant to do this. Because if it is real, they don't want to sort of upset the natural progression of history. Right. But before anything can happen that's too crazy, somebody from SPR responds. There's a guy named John Stiles who reaches out in response to the letter Another that John. they sent. Another John. There's a lot of, this. yeah, 1980s England. So there's like, a, like I think I texted you, there's like 300 Johns. Yeah. Uh, but they sent a letter months and months ago and we're worried that it might be a hoax, but they finally get in contact with somebody and they start suggesting a couple things about it being a hoax. They're saying okay. for one, it could be mental interference with the computer. They're thinking that if somebody there is thinking about things too hard, it'll get picked up by the computer. Yeah. There's it, computer science is, you know, still kind of a, a new thing then. So yeah, it yeah. makes sense that they could be like, oh, well, what are other strange things these computers can do? Right. They talk about specifically computer screens going fuzzy or having random sort of artifacts and characters on the screen mm-hmm. or to just shut off mm-hmm. when they've been, I guess, bombarded with mental energy. We, I think we've talked about stuff like that before, you know, being able to erase discs and things like that with psychic energy Mm -hmm. sort of focusing your mental power on it and it changes the data that's on there erases it but that's that's what they're doing in 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 this they're they're recommending that this is probably a hoax Mm -hmm. and it might just be this sort of thing so the suggestion from styles is to lock the entire house install locks on the windows on the doors lock everything up and put the keys Deposit the keys with a bank while they're away. So there's no way anyone can possibly get in there mm-hmm. and change anything and then have somebody with them when they go and get the keys and come back, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. They decide they're not going to do that. <laughs> so what they do yeah. is they have Debbie's brother and mother come to the cottage. They have the three of them sit in the living room with the computer on in the kitchen while Ken and Peter are away. Mm-hmm. And they do end up getting a letter. They write their own reports. There's reports from Debbie's mom and her brother saying, this is where we were. This is what we were doing. When we went back into the kitchen, there's a computer there. We heard no noise. They don't own a TV or anything. So they're just sitting there reading, occasionally talking. Mm-hmm. And they find a letter. And it's just you know, random stuff. Lucas is talking about being upset about some woman. But the rest of... The letter is about a man named Thomas Moore, who's friends with Erasmus, the historical scholar, Mm -hmm. and who was executed by the crown for refusing to acknowledge that the king is now the ruler of the church. I guess this is during the, you know, time where we transitioned from 
Catholicism to the Anglican Church. Mm -hmm. So just random communication, but it's happening with people in the other room. They're not hearing anything. They're not hearing windows open. They're not hearing tapping or typing or anything. Mm. But we'll find out that this is not good enough for SPR. After a quick break. back crypt keepers <laughs> yeah so dev is still continuing to have dreams and they're starting to think that maybe she's sensitive in some way like a medium mm-hmm. she has another dream where she goes into lucas's cottage and saw him talking with Catherine, the 14 year old cook or servant or whatever mm-hmm. she isn't able to see deb lucas mm-hmm. is clearly turning to her and his language is difficult to understand but he's saying look here directing her towards that spot and she doesn't see Mm -hmm. anything she doesn't understand she's getting upset she's crying and he's getting more angry himself he's trying to get deb to pick up objects and her hand passes through them it's just a really chaotic scene that she describes he's upset he's yelling because nobody else can see what's going on she can't touch anything it freaks everybody out and it's kind of it ruins her image of lucas for a little while Mm -hmm. at this point I don't know if this is what prompted what happens next that he tried to get people to see what he was seeing. Mm -hmm. But the next communication we have is this unnamed friend, probably a John, (laughs) you know, one of the number of Johns, not a John in the like NCIS sense, but he's upset with Ken and Debbie. He says that Lucas has been taken into custody by the sheriff and is being kept in a dungeon. Somebody has turned him in for either witchcraft or blasphemy. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting thing for Ken and Deb because they're trying to reconcile the way they feel about it. Mm -hmm. On one hand, they're thinking our friend is in trouble. And on the other hand, they're thinking, we don't know if this is real. (laughs) We've been trying to figure this out all along. Right. Or maybe that it was witchcraft that he was doing back in those days that allowed this to take place. Oh, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't considered that that way, yeah. But they're trying to get this person to tell them Lucas's real name. And the guy's just mm-hmm. being really stubborn and threatening. He doesn't understand why they need his real name. It, it's a confusing exchange of letters. Mm-hmm. The sheriff and really everybody involved want Ken and them to show themselves physically, mm-hmm. which they can't do. They're saying all we have is words, but our words can be valuable. We can tell you things that are useful. Mm -hmm. They even end up giving some information at one point that they think they might be able to use to trade for his freedom. But the last communication that they have from Lucas is that he's been returned home because the authorities are looking into this computer device. And it Mm -hmm. works best when Lucas is around. They find that when they remove him, the people that can see it can't really see it anymore. If Hmm. they try to move it, it disappears. So it's somehow tied to him. So he finally is returned home, but essentially put under house arrest. And he's really upset. He's pretty sure he's going to die. He's like, they're keeping me here. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm being watched. I'm not allowed to go anywhere. He said, we are like two covers 
of a history book glued together. Mm. And I need your help. He asked them Mm -hmm. to finish the book about these experiences if he is to die because he wants there being some record of it and even gives them a passage about how he feels about them that he wants in the book, that there's friends, he doesn't blame them for anything, and that Mm -hmm. they were buds and they loved each other, that kind of thing. So in chapter 15, there's a big twist. They're talking to Lucas. They're, They're still exchanging messages and trying to comfort him. And he, for the first time, mentions the year that they're dating their messages from, which is 1985. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, I thought you were from 2109, like your other friends, the ones who brought the computer here in the first place. Oh. So, yeah, that's this is <laughs> this is where things start to really pick up. So they realize that 2109 is communicating with Lucas and telling him that if he asks anything too specific about how this works or anything too specific about the future, he'll lose his ability to communicate with Ken, Deb, Nick, and Peter. Mm-hmm. So they leave a message addressed to 2109 instead of Lucas to try to see if they can get anything to happen. Right. And they get a response that tells them that the key to saving Lucas's life is in the writings that they already have. They take the material that they have and rush to Peter's house and Mm. try to decipher what all of it means and find anything that can help them. They do this at something like 11 at night and end up staying till two in the morning Mm. to try to do this. And Deb even has this kind of breakdown in the car where she starts laughing and she's like, can you believe it? We're trying to save our friend's life. The life of a man who's been dead for four centuries. Are we allowed to tell our friends about this? Like, this is pretty wild. And she notices yeah. that Ken isn't finding it funny. So she just kind of stops and looks out the window because Ken turns into just a little, he turns into kind of a baby for a lot of this. He's very, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot to go through, Yeah, but he's really down for a lot of it. But Lucas's final messages for that chapter. And really the final messages we get for a while are that Catherine is crying for him. He's afraid for her to be alone because she's only 14 mm-hmm. and he's also afraid that she's going to be punished like him. He's kind of given up. He knows that he's going to be taken away, mm-hmm. but he's, he's afraid that something's going to happen to her too. Makes sense. Yeah. They receive messages a month or so later, I think confirming that Lucas is dead. Mm-hmm. They get messages from John, our you know, mysterious friend who basically just writes periodically threatening them. (laughs) He just keeps saying like, if you do, you know, you did this and I'm going to mess you up and God's going to judge you and all this stuff. So they just decide to get rid of the computer. They, they stop renting one from the school or checking one out. Mm -hmm. And they eventually receive a message in chalk written on the floor of the kitchen. And it says, Peter, you asked too much. Furthermore, Lucas went to his death. He brought death upon himself, the God's will. And then there's a word that they can't read. It's been smudged because it's chalk written on a floor. Mm -hmm. So they decide to bring the computer back and they start getting messages again. They're communicating with 2109, which is not responding to them. A lot of the time it, it responds in a really cryptic way kind of the way those first few messages were before they sort of cleared up and they became 
almost a normal pen pal kind of relationship with somebody from 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. Am I too in the details or are you following no, no, this? Is this okay? No, I'm following it. I was going to ask, um, does 2109, when they, when they write back, I, I mean, is it going to be like binary code or is it, you know, future English? So it, to speak? It's a very misspelled English. It's okay. it's a it's almost an English you would use if you'd only ever heard it. Uh-huh. There are a lot of words where they'll swap C's with S's and things like that, but there's there aren't words that we don't understand. They make a okay. lot of punctuation mistakes and a lot of simple spelling mistakes. One S instead of two, an S for well, C. But when we're looking at how people are already switching their communication now. Like you never see punctuation in kids' text messages. And they'll skip, like a lot of times I see people that even just skip the vowels because, you know, your mind can figure it out without needing every letter. Right. And, you know, everything's um, LOL and BRB and stuff like that. So it it would make sense that some of it would come back like that. That's a good point. Yeah, it could be a simplification of the language, kind of mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but it's hard to say. There are a lot of mistakes, but yeah, a lot of the words are shorter and spelled in a more phonetic way. Mm. And it's something that kind of bothers them at first, <laughs> to be honest. It bothers me when I see it, too. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, the lack of punctuation and stuff. But Yeah. So they receive a response from 2109 that explains the last part of the phrase that they received in chalk on the floor. And okay. essentially the part of the phrase is saying that the gods will root you out. So it's basically just another threat. Yeah. They get more messages from 2109 saying that questions will be answered, but they don't have enough power and they're telling Ken and Deb to go to sleep or they're just saying, go to sleep. Actually, they tell them to go sleep alone. And, and at this point they're just starting to respond within the same document so ken writes me or her and he comes back a little bit later and the word me is deleted so ken goes out and debbie goes to sleep for a little bit they come back to find messages addressed to peter saying that he's devoting days and nights to his investigation and this is what he wishes for himself and this trick doesn't deceive me It's really cryptic stuff. Mm -hmm. They're saying that uh, the group already have Lucas's true name and that Peter has it in his notes and whatever, just more, more stuff. But they Mm -hmm. start communicating with this librarian that was at Brazenose College, Robin Peedle, when Peter went there. They've been in contact with this person. It's a, a man, apparently. Mm-hmm. And this guy has continued to do some research and found the name Thomas Howarden, saying that it's a likely candidate for Lucas's real identity. Mm-hmm. And Howarden is kind of well known, so it's they dismiss it pretty quickly. Howarden is the name of the town where Peter lives, and I think it's the name of the town where the school is that they work at. And they're saying, why would a uh, town that's named after a guy, why would this guy be living this simple life on a farm with like four pigs and, you know, some chickens. It doesn't really make sense. Right. Right. So they just sort of dismiss that. The librarian also is able to find a lot of the books that Lucas has mentioned. When they talk about education, he talks about certain things that he's read. 
all of them that they were defined were contemporary to the 1520s and 30s. They were in the right time period. And okay. around this time, the dates on Lucas's letters have shifted from the 1520s to the 1540s. So there's, it's, it seems like time is not passing in a totally synchronous way. Right. It's not it's necessarily not a time line. It's a time jumble. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's a good way of introducing the way the name of the book came about. There's a line later on in the book where Ken is talking about time, trying to understand mm-hmm. how this might work. And he talks about time being a vertical plane, which is ascended by a spiraling staircase. I like it. And it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. He's kind of imagining that as you ascend and you come around this spiral, you're seeing you're catching glimpses of the other people. It's not a straight line. It's a spiral in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, that's where that name comes from. Cause I was waiting for it. I was oh, Oh, he said it. He said the name. It's like in a movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where they say the name of the movie. Yeah. There was one more book that they weren't able to find, which was by Mushamas Rufus. M-U-T-I-A-M-U-S. I don't know how to say that. Had to get a crazy name in here. Yeah. Even though there's John Johnson, John Johnson, John yeah. Johnson, and John Johnson. And then this guy. <laughs> so this, this was one of the authors that Robin wasn't able to find. Hmm. But they eventually wrote them and found that, that the real name was Giacomo. Hmm. That Rufus was some kind of nickname for this person or a pen. So even that, yeah, or something, something where it was a name that wasn't used regularly. So maybe it could have been a pen name that was eventually dropped or some Mm -hmm. kind of nickname that would have been used if this person was alive and people knew who he was. Mm -hmm. Either way, they're finding more and more that supports that this stuff is real as the communications became more and more clear with Lucas. They're still trying to do some other research on the words and now they're kind of turning their attention more and more towards SPR. Okay. So <laughs> SPR sends two investigators. Men in black. Yeah. So they listen <laughs> to the stories and they're still saying this has to be some kind of prank or a hoax. They're saying that the house is generally insecure relatively easy to break into. They don't necessarily keep all the doors locked. The windows are not the most secure thing in the world. It's Mm -hmm. connected to other structures. Somebody could get up on the roof and walk across that. It would be relatively easy for somebody to break into the house. Well, especially if you're hearing footsteps on the roof, right? But they're talking about the fact that Debbie and Ken are home a lot of the time. Right. And Peter is saying that the language being used is contemporary to the time period and would be really hard to pull off. He says that he could probably come up with a message like what Lucas sends if he was given a week or so. But in a lot of wow. instances, they're seeing the responses come within an hour. Right. So they're saying somebody is managing to break in without anybody hearing, respond to these messages without anybody hearing any typing. And they're able to come up with this late middle English in an hour that an actual teacher at a school couldn't do in a week. A highly educated cat burglar prankster that doesn't steal anything. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. (sighs) So (laughs) 
Could be. Yeah. Never, I mean, could be. Just another story. Debbie drops Ken off of work. He had stayed at her place overnight. They've started kind of staying at her rented home more often because they're tired of dealing with the poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. But she drops him off at work and then she goes by the cottage to feed the cats. As she approaches, she talks about feeling kind of strange and noticing that one of the cats is sitting outside on one of the, like the garden wall looking mm-hmm. at her. And when she gets in, she says that she finds, and there's a picture in the book, a six foot pile of furniture against the kitchen door. Wow. Everything that wasn't nailed or bolted down, including a couple tiles from the hearth had been ripped up and pushed across the room. It's a strong entity. Right. There was a pan that was supposed to be hung on a hook on one of the beams Mm -hmm. that has been bent. I mean, it's still on the hook, but the handle's been bent. Like something grabbed it and tried to pull it, but it was nailed there. So it just bent around instead. Wow. The kitchen is in pretty much the same condition. There are pictures of that as well. The stove is completely turned over and leaning against the wall, like kind of balanced in a precarious way. The Mm -hmm. kettle and some of the other appliances have been moved and are pretty much hanging by the cords where they're plugged into the wall. Mm -hmm. Table flipped, chair stacked on top, at a kind of a strange angle with a broom sitting on top of it. I mean, some Mm -hmm. of it seems like it was deliberately put there. Some of it just seems like something like the Tasmanian devil went through. (laughs) And they wound up having one of their friends climb up and drop down to the skylight to take these pictures because everything's piled up against the doors. They wanted to get pictures and document what had happened before they tried to force their way in and start getting everything back to normal. No video cameras in this story? No. No, no video cameras. I mean, back in 85, they would have been expensive. Oh, I I know what they were like. They look, you know, the home models looked like something you see TV or news crews carrying today. Yeah. Back in 93. Remember the flood? It was 93, right? Not 92. Mm -hmm. My dad took the family video camera and was getting footage of the flood. And he wound up going to some restaurant afterwards, I guess him and my mom. And they got treated like they were part of the news crew. Like people thought that they were with the news covering this stuff because they had a big ass camera with them. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. They're showing this to people and talking to the neighbors the neighbors say that they didn't hear anything they said oh you know we're where we 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 saw you leave last night we heard you leave we heard you get back this morning but we didn't know anything had happened in the meantime and they're starting to get more and more fed up with just people thinking that they're hoaxing right one of the quotes they gave was that somebody told them that they are not looking for the truth, but a fiction that they can live with. We see that all the time today. Yeah, it's like you said. Why Why would this burglar be breaking in and doing this stuff and not taking anything? Who well, would burgle also, a home and just pile all your furniture up on one side of the house and not take anything? A lot of times we see in these sort of poltergeist piles, if you want to call them that, the... like. Forks will be standing on end mm-hmm. and a dish will be standing straight up and stuff like that that people couldn't do. It does bug me a little bit that this uh, Center for Cyclical Research or, or 
uh, psychical. Yeah, whatever it was. They didn't have a camera they could loan them? They had cameras, but they only bring them when they're there. They bring them with them and they take them when they go. Hmm. Okay. So, they get more advice. We're all the way into mid-May of 85. And they Mm -hmm. get some more advice from 2109. Okay. It says, Ken, Deb, Peter. Again, we give you two choices together with some help. What is our name? Too perfect that we make mistakes, as we must have a character. And character is spelled with an O at the end. Character. Hmm. Movement that casts no shadows, though without chemical reaction. Love without passion, hate without anger, wars without life lost. How can we have a name? We are many, but no more than one in the time to come. We have no retirement. Ah, what an age to be if the digets were reversed. Marriage, M-A-R-R-I-G-E, is just kind of given as another word at the end of that. It says, one, do you wish to know of Lucas and what of him? Cause the computer to have been never in his time. Thus he shall fall to no unnatural death. He would have no knowledge of you and your time to come. You shall have no proof. Two, Mm -hmm. you continue with the computer and risk the sight of your destiny as Lucas. But ah, but something will be proved. You three must sit undisturbed and talk and listen. Most importantly, the answer will come to you all, not from an individual. Sounds like somebody said to an AI, type some creepy message. Yes. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it is kind of a... That's a good description of it. It's. <laughs> it seems to be saying that if I tell you Lucas's real name and explain how this is working, and it does at one point tell them that it can tell them how this works, mm-hmm. but if they do, they'll lose their communication and they won't be able to do this anymore and they won't have any real proof of it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what this statement is mirroring. If we tell you Lucas's real name, none of this will have happened. Lucas won't know right. you anymore. You won't have any proof. If you keep right. going, you will have proof. And 2109 keeps referring to this as an experiment. So they're, again, confused by that. But they also think that there might be a little bit of a threat in the you will see, you'll catch sight of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. That maybe this is you'll know how you die or we, you know, some new destiny will be fixed for you Hmm. either way. They're still asking for help and they're starting to get communication again. That's from the past. They, the note that they received from the past is asking about information. They were willing to trade with the King for Lucas's life. Okay. And this person is somebody named Thomas who says that he's a well-known figure. They ask if this is Thomas Fowlhurst or Fowlshurst because I see it written a couple ways. Mm-hmm. And they get a response saying, yeah. <laughs> they say, be okay. you Thomas Fowlshurst. And they get a response back, Y-E-A, yeah, 20 minutes after. That's And is that something, maybe they would have talked like that at that point. Yeah, it could right. be like, like yay or yeah, something. I don't know. Not yeah, I think that means something else. But like, it's not like word up or something. Yeah, I don't think it's like yeah, 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 yeah. Like you? the way 
like Word. a Ryan George skit. <laughs> but they know who this is because they've been doing so much research on that time. And they know that Thomas Fowlshurst is the name of the sheriff in the area, a person from Nantwich and somebody that they have real historical information on. Mm-hmm. But before too much continues from that, we have a visit from SPR. They set up a microphone going into the kitchen. It's sort of strung on the outside of the house. And I believe it's going into the skylight. That's how they described it. And they mm-hmm. set up a listening post. The idea being that they're going to tape up the windows, close all the doors and listen to see if there's somebody getting in, if they hear typing, if they hear something that indicates what's going on, because they're still theorizing as to how this might be happening. And the only disturbance that happens the whole time is that a cat (laughs) comes in through a window and kind of startles everybody. Well, there's your cat burglar. Yeah, there's your cat burglar. (laughs) They do get one more message from the sheriff, but of course this is after SPR leaves, saying that Lucas never begged for mercy, but said that this device, this computer could only have come from God and essentially that the court should be on trial Hmm. for going against something God clearly wanted to happen. Flip the script. Oh, how the turns have tabled. tabled. (laughs) So we've got Ken after this, there's a lot of, uh, There's a lot of travel and going out, which I guess you would do if you lived in a cottage that small and didn't even have a TV. Yeah. I'm sort of struck by how often they're talking about places that they go. But there's... Yeah, Yeah, it's weird that... And you see that in big cities a lot. You know, they're going out to dinner every night, and it's like, well, how do you afford it? And it's like, well, how do I get groceries home? So Yeah. (laughs) It's a conundrum. Yeah, that's, that's true. So... The point of pointing out that Ken's gone in this one is that he, he's in Scotland with a friend trying to get his mind off this stuff. But Peter and Debbie are still communicating with the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And she's on her own and saying that she can't really speak. She said, I need my man here. She She's communicating in a way that's more similar to their language. They've all gotten kind of good at it. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, what do you have you no tongue? She tries to respond and answer some of his questions. And he 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 had said, uh, he kind of goaded her into it. He said, what, have you no tongue? I might think you a half-wit if you can't even respond to simple questions. So she tries to answer. And he basically says, yeah, you're right. You have no tongue for my words. I, I have no idea what you're, calling, what you're talking about. I don't know what any mm-hmm. of this stuff means. And he responds to a message that Peter had sent saying that they must not really know anything about Lucas if they're saying he's dead. Hmm. Chapter 22 After a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Chapter 22, they they do the uh, old school, like, Buffy cliffhanger thing. That's the first show I remember where it would end on, like, a really, gotcha like, down note or, like, a dramatic moment. And it would just, in silence, go to credits. So that's what I kind of think of with the end of these. 
they go straight into the end of the school year. Basically, Ken being bored with work. They're tired of these hmm. poltergeist activities. They're hearing clinking, clanking, sure. like ching kind of sounds. They'll, they'll hear like bits of pipe getting thrown. So it makes a ringing, like a ching kind of sound. And because it's different length, it makes different noises. And they're frustrated because they only ever see them coming to rest. They never see them actually in motion. There's even a story where a friend of theirs has his wife over. And when she's going to the bathroom, she finds a long piece of pipe sitting in front of the door that they knew had been outside. It was resting against the side of the house outside that door. And now it's just laying in the hallway. Well, at least it was just a piece of pipe. I thought you were going somewhere else when you said along. No, sir. They, uh, they're trying to kind of joke and just keep positive about it. They're just saying, like, just keep smiling, ignore it, don't worry about it. They're tired of the pipes, and a two-pence piece, two-pence coin, th- it gets thrown. Mm-hmm. And they kind of joke that this this could end up being really lucrative. Could we make it a little bit more mm-hmm. money? And the next thing that they see is uh, three-pound coins appear sitting on top of the BBC computer. <laughs> Wow. And they're like, hey, we're rich. And then they realize that it's three pounds Debbie had put on the mantle Uh-oh. that just got moved. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome to have a poltergeist that would just bring you money? Like money would just best. I've seen YouTube and TikTok videos where people have birds that will go out and just they'll just fly back with like a five euro note in their beak for no reason. <laughs> don't know where they're going. Don't know where they're getting it. <laughs> That'd be nice. I know. I need one of those. So it's more of Debbie having these weird dreams, but she is, she's dreaming about being in a room with a heavy wooden or metal grate at the top. And that's the only place where light is coming in the air. She describes as fetid. So like foul smelling, difficult to breathe. And she's singing. Ken even confirms that she's, humming and singing in her sleep. And they believe that this might be Lucas. They're getting letters from the sheriff saying that he would give them Lucas's name. Uh, But then another one from the mysterious friend who likes to threaten them saying, don't make any deals. Don't talk to this guy. Lucas is being kept alive. Mm -hmm. And he tells them Lucas is being kept alive because if he dies, the computer goes away. And the crown and the authorities are trying to figure out how to use this thing to their advantage. They're trying to figure out how to leverage Ken and his group into something that would be good for them. We've got more pipe throwing, more poltergeist activity while this whole thing is going on. And this is probably the most violent period of it. Debbie even gets hit with a piece of pipe on her shoulder mm-hmm. and then pretty much immediately has this deep black and blue bruise start to form. Mm-hmm. And... Someone that Ken works with at the school, because remember, the whole school knows what's going on, says that he should just threaten the sheriff. She tells him, like, think about it. This guy is living in the 1500s. They're scared of everything. They're superstitious. Just threaten the guy. They already think you're powerful anyway. Just bluff. So they do. They tell him, you know, if you're really our friend and we want you to be our friend, you're going to return Lucas to his home. And we fear for your soul if Lucas were to die because of your actions. Mm -hmm. His response 
uh, let's say, lacks confidence. <laughs> and he's, they don't document everything that's said, but he's he's trying to figure out how they know, how they know that he's being kept alive and what's going on with them. And they tell him, we don't need to be told to know what's happening. Hmm. We've seen the light coming through. We've tasted the air. We know that he's singing in Latin, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he responds saying, John told you. <laughs> and they're like, no, John confirmed it. We already knew. But they they get a response that's partially cut off saying to wait for an hour and Lucas would be and the letter B is cut off. But they just say, we, we can wait for a friend. Mm-hmm. So they go outside. They found that it's best if they're not in the area, if they're around, it tends to screw things up. They'll even sometimes receive partial responses. If they go in, they might see a letter that's half written. If they leave the room and come back later, it'll be complete. Mm-hmm. They wind up sitting in the car, listening to music. And Debbie goes in about 10 minutes before the hour is up to use the bathroom. And she happens to see that there is something on the screen, but they're like an hour's an hour. We're going to stick to our word. She goes back out. They come in. And they find a long letter from Lucas saying that he's home and he's excited and he's been weeping and he wants to show them how much he cares about them and appreciates their help. But he needs to rest so that he doesn't, you know, kind of make a fool of himself so that his words will make more sense. Hmm. This is followed by a lot of emotional stuff with Ken and the group that I kind of like to just gloss over because there's a lot about how they feel about everything. And how they're interacting. But Lucas is talking about how he's continuing to see Debbie. And Debbie confirms to Ken that she's having these experiences where she's seeing him. Like when she's dreaming or she's having these little you know, moments, these little slips where they see each other. Mm-hmm. And Lucas is asking Ken for advice. He's saying that he's seeing her, but she won't talk to him. He's trying to say... I'm not dangerous. I'm not going to hurt you. Why won't you talk to me? What's going on? You keep appearing, but you're not saying anything mm-hmm. through these communications. I mean, it's just a lot of conversation. Peter's talking to him. He's carrying on different sort of threads of conversation with different people. P- Peter's telling him about some modern developments, including travel like cars and planes. And Lucas is very taken aback by it. He asks if somebody were to move as quickly as he says, would not blood ooze from his ears. <laughs> he also tells him, I told my horse of this and it thought me mad. It threw off its <laughs> saddle for fear I might force this feet upon it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> they have more poltergeist stuff. Shields appearing on the kitchen floor, which they find eventually to be coat of arms for Belial College in Oxford and All Souls College in Oxford. Hmm. But we never get any real explanation as to why those are there. It's just more of this poltergeist stuff that keeps coming up. So Lucas, through all these exchanges, seems to be more and more infatuated with Deb. Hmm. Lucas is telling them more about his family, says that he has family going to Bristol, talks about... uh, going with a man named John Cabot, who they research and find to be an explorer. So Ken goes to Bristol, and there's a museum, and there's a statue of the guy. 
and they buy some books and he kind of goes on this little adventure and he's talking about that he's learned more about himself than he did about John Cabot through this whole thing. Heartwarming. But at the time, yes, very, very hallmarky. <laughs> you know, the the treasure was the friends we made along the way. Right. That kind of thing. So we're into July at this point, and they're going on to summer break, and they're going on vacation. And one of the funnier things is Lucas is scared. Because they're telling him we're going to be out of communication for a little while because I'm going to Scotland. Peter's going to uh, France. Debbie's going wherever else. And he's saying, you know, are you being hunted by your government? Hmm. What's happening? Why are you going into exile? And they're they're telling him, no, we can travel to these places in a couple of hours. It's right. It's not a big deal. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> right. They think it's a lifetime deal right but he's writing poems in these little love letters about deb <laughs> future she's, women i know man i need to see what that's all about i guess but <laughs> she has more of these dreams including an experience where she's with him for a couple hours she she estimates about four hours they're making candles together she finds that she can touch oh, things wow. in his world she's trying to joke with him she snatches his hat away and she finds this little packet of herbs in the brim of the hat. And she says, Oh, this must be where you keep your wits in this little, you know, this little thing. Mm-hmm. And they laugh and he's wanting to show her around the house. So they take the candles upstairs and he's showing her that he has a new bed, new linens. <laughs> she's not totally comfortable with. And he's basically telling her, Man, I am 430 years too old for you. <laughs> when you tell this story, I just picture Quagmire's room. You know, uh, <laughs> family guy where he just walks back there and he like hits a button and an open bar pops up and like a mm-hmm. disco light and some leopard print sheets and stuff. Yeah. Oh my God, that's great. He's like, would thou like some ale? I made it with mine barley. <laughs> I've, I have had shower within weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so she's uncomfortable and she tries to leave and he goes to stop her blocks her way Ooh. and he takes his hat off of her head puts it back on he's like oh i have to have my wits back and he kind of brushes her cheek and lets her go she's freaked out but whatever when she wakes back up she finds that not that much time has passed so again another thing suggesting that that like you said this time is not perfectly in relation to each other like going in a linear way right so we've got our spr people back after this this is in the summer Mm -hmm. and one of the spr investigators the main one whose name by the way is john (laughs) john bucknell uh lucas is telling him that when john bucknell is around there's interference with the computer Mm. he's he's saying that when there's this bearded guy around the computer is harder to access. Mm-hmm. So they set up a little bit of an experiment where they bring questions and most of the group goes to a pub that's right around the corner. Deb and two researchers stay at the house. They've established that it takes about a minute to get from one to the other. And they come back, you know, the guy, the researchers go to grab them. They come back and they find that there are messages. They find that they've written 
something. They check the computer before they left to go to the pub and get everybody. And when they come back, they look through them again. And there's about 35 pages of blank space below the last message that they left, which was not there before. Okay. And then a response at the bottom of that. And Bucknell huh. says that that doesn't prove anything, that it's still a hoax. <sighs> so they have this kind of argument that it would have taken a couple minutes to add. It takes one minute to get back and forth, but it would have taken a few minutes just to add the spacing to make 35 pages on this ancient computer. Would you have to hit enter every time, or could you just hold enter down on those old computers? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I've never used one quite like this. Okay. But I mean, even on a modern computer, to make 35 pages, you'd have to hold enter for a little while. Yeah. It might take yeah. around a minute to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure these older ones aren't as fast. And I don't know if a... I would assume a character term would go straight to the next line, but it could have been done with spaces. However, they figure it, it would have taken a little while to do that. Okay. This is where Bucknell starts to infuriate me. He said, okay, then the most likely thing that's happening is somebody is swapping the disc. The disc that they're saving all this to. Right. So he says, there, you know, a minute gives you enough time to, to take a disc out and swap another one in. Sure. And anybody who had access to the house could have made a copy of the disc and could have gotten in. The problem is the experiment SPR was doing was writing a new message on the computer with nobody else present mm -hmm. and leaving it on the screen. Then coming in to check it later, or in some cases deleting the message before anybody else could see it. Hmm. So their question is, okay, if somebody is swapping the disc, how did they get your message? Right. If they came in l earlier and made a copy of the disc, how did they come back and get a copy of your message and respond right. to everything, especially since you deleted it? Right. And it's just infuriating. <laughs> well, it's got to be it, swamp gas or ball light. Yeah. At some point, wouldn't, and obviously, you know, you and I have never experienced this, but like, I would be, you know, in this day and age using all the technology I had to try and record what I could and, and stuff like that. But at some point I'm being like, well, if you don't believe me, then fuck you. Go. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I mean, why are you here? If you think this is a hoax, why are you wasting your time? Yeah. Unless it's just to be the guy that proves that they were lying. It could be. It could be. And they talk at one point that Bucknell... In a later, I think a later meeting than what we just talked about is kind of pacing around their living room and going like, well, this is a hoax because it has to be a hoax. Yeah. So he's just, he's just set. He's not willing to consider any other possibilities. Yeah. So by this time we're into the summer, Deb and Ken have actually bought their own computer because they can't reliably rent one from the school during the summer. Mm -hmm. And they have another significant thing that they're able to research. They find out that there's somebody that wants to buy Lucas's land. Mm. And he calls the guy Grovner. G-R-O-S-V-E-N-O-R. The sheriff was talking about how much Lucas's land might fetch. You know, the people want it because it's rich land, even though there's not a ton of it, whatever. Mm -hmm. While Lucas was in prison. 
But this is the first time we get a name for who wants it. And they are able to find somebody who historically makes sense. And Ken tells them that the sheriff said somebody wanted it, but I'm sure everything's going to be okay. What Ken doesn't tell him is that his own property, this cottage, and by extension Lucas's property 430 years before, Hmm. was sold out of the Grovener estate in 1919. So at some point, somebody in that family did have it. Yeah. And there was a guy alive at that time named Richard Grubner, who was the second son of some other more famous Grubner who lived in Eaton and kind of started this dynasty. You know, they had right. they're really wealthy people who owned a bunch of land and all this, and they accumulated a lot. And this was part of what they had. I love that it's Grubner. It's hard not to hear Governor when you say Governor. Governor. <laughs> The next messages we get from Lucas after this whole thing where he's worrying about his land and is forced into a deal to sell his land, he's told by Grovner that everybody in the town despises him because they know he was taken to prison as a witch or as whatever he was supposed to be, a blasphemer. Right. They all want him out. So he's like, fine, I'll sell my land, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Lucas sends a pretty cryptic message that I had a lot of trouble understanding. But it seems to be saying that 2109, this entity that we've mentioned before, is listening to everything and sees all. Mm-hmm. So they seem to be able to interfere with things because they've told Lucas and Ken and their friends what they can and can't talk about. And they seem to have an ability to alter their messages. Lucas even asks at one point why his messages and his words have been rearranged and that he wants to talk to his friend Ken. And they realize that what they're seeing seems to inadvertently be a message between Lucas and 2109. Lucas is telling 2109... What? Lucas is telling 2109 that he wants to talk to his friends... And they're seeing it at the same time, but it doesn't seem to be meant for them. Okay. 2109 at this point is also sounding less and less like a date and more like either a name or some kind of cipher. And the way they speak sounds less and less human. Huh. At this point in the book, they're still sort of operating under the assumption that they're from the future. But to me and to you and probably most of our listeners, it sounds more like aliens or some other kind of non-human entity. They talk back and forth with them about the things that they can and can't answer questions. Mm -hmm. And 2109 say that the answers they can give are only limited by our abilities. That would be the abilities of like humans in 1985. Right. Not by theirs. Right. And at the same time, Lucas is trying to find a way to cut them out. Mm. So they decide they've seen him write with chalk and things like that. So they leave out charcoal and paper thinking charcoal is probably a pretty recognizable writing implement as a backup. They put it on top of the computer monitor. And when they come back, they find a message on the computer that says to put the computer where my words are. Hmm. And he doesn't know what that means, but he turns around and sees Debbie holding a piece of paper that says take on it written in charcoal that was in a different area. So they're asking for clarification and Lucas tells them very specifically where to put it, to put it where the letter was, the piece of paper 
and it has to be so many hands high and supported in this way. So weird measurements, but they go ahead and do it. And Lucas tells them that he he calls it a leams boist. The leams, that's what he refers to the computer as. He said the leams is now showing up where it hmm. originally was. Somehow it, it stopped showing up in his fireplace, in the bricks of his fireplace where it originally had been. Yeah. And he believes that being back in this space means the 2109 can't interfere anymore and it kind of seems like maybe he's right okay he is now willing to be more clear with them and he's a little cryptic about it first he's kind of saying i think you know more than you're letting on and i need to know more about your intentions mm-hmm. but he eventually reveals that his name is thomas mm. he says you already have my name in your red book And he says, if not John, then Tom. And he signs it Thomas. They look through those pages and they find the references to Thomas Howarden. And they realize that must be who he's talking about. And so this is like the third time his signature has changed. He starts signing letters for a little while saying Thomas. He had already gone from signing uh, LW for Lucas Wayneman to just Lucas to eventually love Lucas. Because mm-hmm. Deb always signed her letters, Love Debbie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he had started saying, Love Lucas. But now he's signing them Thomas. But there are issues with the fact that he could be Thomas Howarden. Mm-hmm. Like we already said, the librarian and Bracenose thought this was the most likely candidate. But they didn't know why somebody with this kind of an education would have ended up moving to this little town. And the librarian is able to help them dig up more information. Mm-hmm. They find an original record from Bracenose from back in the 1500s saying that Thomas Howarden had been expelled for mm. refusing to cross out the Pope's name. And we assume this to mean that when we were changing over from following the Pope and the Vatican to the Anglican Church, mm-hmm. that Thomas Howarden was more traditional, more mm-hmm. old school. And this and, is a and fact his that status a, would get him expelled instead of put to death. Possibly. Right, right. Yeah, refusing to do this wouldn't necessarily be a capital offense, but yeah, he would have been kicked out of the school. Mm-hmm. So this is something that was not known through more mainstream records. Not that there would necessarily be tons of published information about any particular individual back then. Mm-hmm. But this explains why he might have done this. And it appears from the records that he withdrew to an obscure village in Chester to ride out this religious revolution that was going on. But he asks to still be addressed as Lucas as he felt that he had made that name his own and was more comfortable using that in their communications. That's weird. But I, th- I think that's a good place to cut it off for this part. So we've, we've had Poltergeist... Letters from the past, letters from the future, or from a possibly non-human entity. Mm -hmm. We've also had mysteries, false names. We finally found out and been able to trace back who this person is. Now, if you're a believer in the hoax theory, Mm -hmm. you could say that whoever the the hoaxer is, is probably part of the friend group. That's what SPR Mm -hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. They thought whoever it was was probably one of them, most likely Ken or Debbie themselves. 
yeah. they could have just looked through the notes that this librarian found or Peter or whoever else and picked out a good name sure. to go by to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. You already have it. Yeah. I think it's a really long series of exchanges to fake. Sure. I think if you were doing this, you wouldn't be doing it from like December of 1984 into July of 1985, exchanging multiple messages, doing all this work and all this research, breaking into this house, throwing things, rearranging things, moving furniture, stomping around on the roof, freaking people out and never taking anything, never getting caught. Nobody ever seeing you in the room, never hearing any typing mysteriously. It just all seems so bizarre to imagine that it could be a hoax. Yeah, there is a a lot to be said for people's time. And yeah, they're putting a lot of time into it if they're hoaxing it. And, And it's also repeatable. So these, it's not just, hey, we had this ex- subjective experience. It's this experiment has been producing similar or the same results over the course of the last six months. So, I mean, that's the scientific process is making something that's repeatable, right? Right. And they've been going to the computer lab at the school and taking the disks that they have and printing out the messages. So they have printed proof they have it saved on computer disks they have like you said the same results they're receiving over and over again documented and it's a lot it's a lot of stuff and it's a lot of work it's an unbelievable amount of work especially when a lot of the, the stuff that i haven't mentioned are the people in the group talking about how they've spent weeks or at least days researching this stuff. Peter talks about spending so much time going through this and trying to figure out the wording, trying to figure out words he's not familiar with, looking through different dictionaries and texts to figure out where this language is coming from and identify words he doesn't know. But we're supposed to believe that somebody, like you said, a a cat-burgling scholar who's able to come up with this stuff on the fly and make these responses within an hour with nobody ever seeing him. It's hard enough for the group to keep up with all of it in their normal lives without having to worry about sneaking. It just seems so unlikely that it's a hoax. Yeah. Well, give us a, a quick preview of what's coming up in the next episode. Well, in the next episode, we'll try to finish this out, which I don't think should be a problem. We're going to find out more about 2109 and sort of the nature of their experiment and maybe some explanations of how this is working, why they're able to hear each other and glimpses into what would make this look like a bigger world and a larger phenomena than we can even see through this whole book. Well, don't forget to come back and check out Doddleston part two. Would you like me to tell them what they need to know since you've been talking for so long sure what you need to know is since this is a two-part episode you get a chance to look into it a little bit on your own and shoot us your questions for the next episode at cryptique at gmail.com 
You can find us on TikTok at cryptique underscore podcast, YouTube at cryptique podcast. You can find us on X at podcast evil. We're on Gab, Truth, Instagram. There could be things out there that we don't know that we're on that uh, someone from the past or future has set up an account for us. So you could check those out. Don't forget to click that subscribe button. That really helps us out a lot and tell a friend. And hopefully we will see you at the Zombie Road Tour, which you can hear in the bumpers at the beginning and the end. You can hear all the details. on. And don't forget to check out episode two of the Doddleston messages. And just remember, Cryptique, is a brand you can trust. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. It's time for a special announcement. You all know about the infamous Zombie Road from our podcast, a real-life dark forest just west of St. Louis. Well, we're planning a free Zombie Road tour on Saturday, October 28th at noon. All are welcome, but the tour will include descriptions of violence, death, and hauntings. Zombie Road boasts an array of hauntings, including shadow people, a railroad worker's spirit, a lady in white, old blue, the mummy, a monkey man, flannel man, black-eyed kids, and so much more. Deaths were commonplace in the area, beginning with Native American battlegrounds, suicides, accidental deaths, and murders. The tour will be 100% free, and we will have some merch for sale, so bring some cash. Join us for a Halloween party like no other on the infamous Zombie Road. Feel free to come dressed up in your scariest costume. We'll see you there Saturday, October 28th at 12 p.m. Central Time. Sherman Beach Park, 1582 St. Paul Road, Baldwin, Missouri, 63021. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.